Our scripture reading this afternoon is from 1 Peter 2. That's a, towards the end of your Bibles, Hebrews, James, and then you find Peter, 1 Peter 2, on page 1391 in your Bible, 1391. We're going to look at our confession, one question answer that deals with our confession about the church. And here in 1 Peter 2, you find a few words about the church. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in the Scripture Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable, among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now I invite you to open up your books of praise to Lord's Day 21, the first question answer. So also towards the end of your book of praise, Lord's Day 21, page 535, question answer 54. There we ask, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? And we answer, I believe that the Son of God, that of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for Himself, by His Spirit and Word, in the unity of the true faith a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. Let's sing after the sermon again from Psalm 46, this time earlier on, 1 and 2 of Psalm 46. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, A fellow once wrote a letter to his pastor 
Dear Reverend, you often stress how important it is to go to church. I think, though, a person has a right to miss now and then. I think each person ought to be excused for the following reasons and times to catch up on sleep five times a year. Bad winter weather, six times. Unexpected guests, three times. Family reunions, two times. Deaths or other traumatic events, four times. Sickness, including that of other family members, five. Business trips, four. Time changes, spring and fall, two. TV specials, including the Super Bowl, three. Sports, five. Anniversary getaway, one. Holidays, four. Other, depending on the person, three. Pastor, that leaves two Sundays per year. So you can count us to be faithfully in church every fourth Sunday in February and every third Sunday in August. All humor aside, it is an easy thing to do, isn't it? To find reasons, even legitimate reasons, not to attend the worship services, there's no shortage of excuses. What place does the church have in our life? Like how weighty and heavy is it? And let's look even beyond the worship services, although that in itself is, of course, something very important. How important is it to, you know, participate in church life, to be, as we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, right at the very end of this question and answer, to be a living member of the church of Christ. It's no mystery to say that, you know, in our world, this whole idea, you know, what we're busy with today, but even throughout the week, church is belittled by our world in so many ways. It's just, you know, what lives in your heart, right? The amount of times that people have said to me, you know, on the day of judgment, God is not going to ask which church you went to. If I had a nickel for every time that was said to me, I might have 20 bucks. Why would you bind yourself to a church? This is all part of organized religion, like this man-made thing where, where people want to sort of control you, is the thought. But let's be honest, the idea of church is not just attacked by our culture, we're often part of it as well. To be a living member of the church, that has got to be one of the hardest things, actually. One of the most beautiful things, too, we'll talk about that in just a moment. One of the hardest things of the Christian life. It is so easy from a certain angle to say that you believe and that you believe in God even. It is quite another to be a faithful, committed member of the church of Christ somewhere. There's an old quote from John Calvin. If I change it a little bit, update it, it goes something like this. If we could all start our own church that has only one member, and that would be us, we would do it. 
That'd be far easier. The Word of God, though, paints such a different picture of the Christian. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says that the church is like a a body, and we're all parts of that body. And it's not rocket science. If you are a body part, you belong to others, and you ought to be connected to them. The Apostle Peter in our text there says the church is a temple, and you all are stones and bricks. The Lord Jesus Christ says his church is a flock, sheep that belong together. And this is our glory and our joy. You know, in so many ways, the Christian faith is about receiving gifts that at first you did not even really want to receive. They were not on your Christmas list. The forgiveness of sins, peace with with God, to be clothed with Jesus Christ. At first, we do not even really care for these sorts of things, but we begin to realize these gifts are far better than anything that we could have ever sought ourselves. We are wonderfully surprised by the God who knows what we need more than we do. Well, that's true also here with the church belonging to a church, receiving brothers and sisters in the faith, learning to be a living member of the church of Christ. All more necessary, richer, and more satisfying than we realize at first. I put the sermon under this theme, connected to Christ in His church. Now, in our particular question and answer here in the Heidelberg Catechism, we have sort of a bit of a refresher course on just what the church is all about. You know, it's good to have refresher courses from time to time, you know, whether it's about marriage or parenting, safety in the workplace, those sorts of things. That's what the Catechism does here, gives us a wonderful refresher question and answer about what this church is all about. It goes even deeper than that, though. The catechism is also rejecting something. In its question and answer, instead of going down that path that we maybe are inclined to go down, it is steering us this way. What is the church? You see, you could say, well, the church is like, you know, Christians when they they get together. The the church is a bunch of of like-minded Christian people. The catechism gives us a heavenly perspective. The perspective of Christ on His church. And you will find that kind of perspective also given throughout the Word of God. For instance, in the book of Romans... Towards the end of the book of Romans, chapter 14 or so, into chapter 15, the Apostle Paul has to deal with a dispute in the church of Rome between the strong and the weak. It's centered upon, actually, their diet 
what you were allowed to eat as a Christian. That was under some discussion. Also, should you observe special days and to what degree? The Apostle Paul, as he deals with this dispute in the church of Rome, although he does say one group is right and the other group is wrong, he actually doesn't sort of, that's not his approach, to say you're right and you're wrong. Instead, he deals with an attitude that had grown up in the church of Rome that was compounding the problem. At one point, for instance, he says, why do you destroy your brother for whom Christ died? For whom Christ died. So Paul immediately adds the right perspective. There were those who were looking down on others in the church. And Paul says, no, why are you through what you're doing, destroying your brother, doing, leading them to do what they consider is really sinful. And so, deny their conscience. Why are you destroying your brother for whom Christ died? Learn to look with different eyes. Learn to look at each other as well. Through the eyes of faith. Well, that's what the catechism does here too. In question answer 54. But the whole church. Do not think of the church from simply a human angle. I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself a church. That is what is going on in our midst. The Son of God is at work. It's not just us with similar backgrounds and similar customs saying, well, church, yeah, that's sort of what we do. The Son of God gathers and defends a people for Himself. The catechism sort of like takes us, you know, to a mountaintop and it gives us that big overview perspective. The catechism is aware that we are talking about something magnificent when we say the word church. That great temple of which Solomon's was only a, a hint is being built. The Son of God is at work. We marvel when we are blessed with a child. And we look at a little child and think, even if we have a few other children, it never gets old, right? How did they get put together so wonderfully, so intricately, when 10 months ago they were not into existence at all? The church as well is a work of God, where we too are being knit together. And not just that God is working individually in our lives. God's work is always as a whole, 
lives are knit together. All the details of those lives, everything in those lives are being knit together in wonder and glory. Look at how it comes into existence. God's original creation comes into existence out of nothing. Look at how a child comes into his existence. Two tiny little things getting together. That's incredible. That's a miracle. But now look at the church. We are all a bunch of sinners who have plunged our lives into darkness. We are all a bunch of rebels against God. And God is going to take us and make us into His people? To make us into that great temple in which He dwells, in which He is worshipped forever? We are living stones, says Peter in this passage that we read. Living stones. Can you imagine something like that? The Apostle Peter, first of all, points to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the first living stone. He was rejected by men, but chosen by God. Peter also says that for a reason in our chapter See, the church was being persecuted. And whenever there's persecution, of course, if there's temptation, the Apostle Peter says, look at the Lord Jesus Christ, rejected by men, but chosen by God. Even if you too are rejected by men, that doesn't mean that you are nothing. It means that you are like the Lord Jesus Christ. If the world thinks, the world scoffs and, and mocks at the church of Christ. Look down on us as a bunch of sort of dinosaurs from, you know, really we belong centuries ago. We don't fit with this modern age. The church, but, but Jesus Christ was also mocked by the world. Humans did not see His glory. Humans do not see the glory that is in the midst of of the church of Christ as well. And you too are like living stones. You are stones. They're not straw or wood. You are that house of bricks that will not be blown down. By the grace of God, there is something rock solid about us as a church. We are gathered in the unity of the true faith, we confess in the catechism. The unity of the true faith. The true faith, it ought to have a unifying power in your life. And when others confess that faith as well in the Lord Jesus Christ, there ought to be like cement that between you. Paul speaks about the church in 1 Timothy 3.15 as the pillar and bulwark or buttress of the truth. 
But dare we claim this today? That we are gathered in the unity of the true faith? That we know the truth? Perhaps you've heard of that old illustration of the six blind men and the elephant. It's often given these days to sort of describe what people think the religions of the world are like. The six blind men around the elephant, and they're all sort of reaching out, and you know, one of them grabs the elephant's trunk and says, hmm, an elephant. It's sort of like a, like a rope or something, big rope. There's another one that has, no, he's got his arms around the elephant's leg, and he says, an elephant's a bit like, like a, a, a tree. And there's another one who's like grabbing the elephant's tail and says, yeah, like a rope, but no, it's not a big rope, it's a tiny little rope. That's like all the religions of the world. It said today. As if all the religions of the world are just dif- different descriptions of the same elephant. One cannot say to the other, you are wrong and only I am right. Tim Keller, I have to just give credit here, he calls this a defeater argument. And what he means that is if If you do not deal with this sort of thinking, then whatever you say about Jesus Christ and the Christian gospel will be defeated. It will fall on deaf ears, really. It will be simply just called your opinion or or part of the truth. You will not be able to say, no, but this is absolutely true. How would you answer that? Are all the religions of the world like blind men around the same elephant? Is religious truth just a matter of perspective? First of all, notice how this argument works. Actually, it has not proved anything, it has only made a comparison. A comparison, of course, is not actually an an argument, a, a reason. Just saying it is like this does not mean it actually is like this. We could just as easily say, no, 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 all the religions of the world are actually like different math answers to the same question, where there's many answers, yes, but only one is right. And it's not being arrogant or proud or intolerant to say this one is right and this one is wrong and this one is wrong and this one is wrong and maybe even 20 are wrong because what is right is right. You can also approach this more sort of logically, presuppositionally if you want a big apologetics word. For instance, in this comparison... You can only know that the six blind men only see part of the truth, are both right and wrong, if you, the person giving the illustration, actually knows about the whole elephant. It can only be said that each man has his own perspective 
if there is someone who has more than just a perspective. In other words, this very illustration actually proves that absolute truth still exists, and it is known by the narrator. But better, you could approach this by faith. Yes, there actually is some truth to this illustration. There is a lot of blindness in the world. There is a lot of half-truths. We can gladly admit that. We can gladly admit that even as Reformed Christians, we do not have a handle on all the truth. We do not know everything. But there's more than just our blindness. What this illustration fails to reckon with is that there is a God who opens the eyes of the blind. And that is what has happened in my life and in your life. It's not that we're so smart, of course, but there is a God. The God who in the beginning said, let there be light, and there was light. He continues to speak that in the midst of His people. And there is light in the darkness of our heart. Yes, we all have our opinions, but we are not left to the mercy of our opinions. There is also a Holy Spirit who, as Scripture says, is the spirit of revelation and the spirit of truth. And this is the proverbial hole in the dike. You see, if you are not willing to humbly claim that the church of Christ, that here we know the truth in the midst of a world filled with lies. I know that seems very arrogant for us to say that, but we need to learn to say that and to hold on to that. If you do not say that, the church of Jesus Christ just becomes another group of people trying to be good, trying to do some good in the world. The church just becomes a bunch of like-minded people. But that is not the church of Christ. The church of Christ are sinners who were lost, who have been found. The church of Christ are those who have been redeemed from a world filled with darkness, with lies, devilish lies even, where there's fake news in our whole world on a level far and above beyond the claims of any politician. A church is those, as Paul says in Philippians 1, who learn to stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Because this faith is truth. The church of Jesus Christ then, it is to be a marvel that we belong to it. 
and that we live in, it, in its midst. Just look at how the catechism answer ends. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. You can't help but see here, the catechism is teaching us to, to boast. Not simply to say, oh yeah, maybe I should be a church member. I am a church member, sort of grudgingly. I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. This is reason for great pride in a good way. There's certain pride. You know, if you were to go to an ancient university like Cambridge or Oxford, and you could walk around in buildings where, you know, Newton or Milton went to school. Maybe you know those guys. If not, you can Google them later. If you went to a school like that, you'd have a certain pride. But you could say that about the church. The church that you belong to, even here in Owen Sound. It is part of that church that spans all time and places. It goes back to David, Abraham, even to Adam and Eve themselves. Thousands and thousands of years. And you walk in the same footsteps of faith as those patriarchs. You and me, we are in the greatest painting that has ever been painted. We are a living stone in the most wonderful building ever made. And I will forever remain a living member of it. How can we say that at the end of our catechism? Only because of where we started at the beginning of that answer. I believe that the Son of God this is the church of Christ. The one who says, no one can snatch them out of my hands. Therefore I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. You know, if you didn't know much about construction and you went to a job site where a building was going up, maybe at times you could get a bit confused. Construction sites, there can be all sorts of messes even on construction sites. There might be scaffolding at times around a building. All these things that really look nothing like how the building will be in the future. Sometimes what we see in the church perhaps doesn't get us too excited. But it's not done. This is a building under construction. And so much will fall away. One day, the Lord Jesus Christ will return. And part of that day of judgment will also be this. That He will reveal His great creation. Bought with His blood, perfected by His Spirit. To the joy of the triune God. To the praise of all creation. A place where He will dwell forever. The Emmanuel. The great fulfillment of that. The God who will be in our midst. 
in our brother, in our sister, in all of us together, where together we know his joy and glory forever. Amen.